Welcome to Redemption's podcast. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church, found in Kirkwood, Missouri, in the greater St. Louis area. Before we dive into the content, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay current on all things Redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. Uh, So glad you guys are here tonight. Hey, um... All right, so we're in this series, uh, What's the Difference? And, and here's the thing. Uh, this, this series is the very first series that we're actually, whew, uh, we're actually borrowing. I swear, I swear that the chair won't break. It just wasn't set. Um, this is the very first series that we aren't, aren't uh, fully doing ourselves. We're borrowing it from another church. So uh, with that, along with the fact that today we're going to be talking about uh, Eastern religions. And both of those things are far outside of my wheelhouse. One, using other people's sermons, and two, um, Eastern religions. Uh, and so because of that, a lot of this stuff, I'm going to end up reading from, from the um, manuscript for the, for the uh, series. So let's, let's dive in. Before we do, I'm just going to open, open us up in prayer. Uh, Father, <clears throat> I believe that you want to do incredible things through this series. I believe that there are people in our community that are going to be listening to these words, and there are going to be friends of people in this room that are going to be shared these words and Lord, they, th- those people uh, have different beliefs and different convictions than we do. And so, Lord, I pray between this series and uh, the uh, class, um, an atheist and a Christian walk into a bar, God, I pray that between these two things, that people would have an open, uh, honest conversation about religion and about why Christianity is better um, and, and, and what makes it different and, and why is it better. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, um, you would bless people, but you'd also convict their hearts. Um, Lord, I pray, uh, last thing I want to pray over, over this room and anybody who calls redemption home, Lord, I pray that as we have conversations with people of other faiths, I pray that we do so with gentleness, respect, um, that we hold conviction, we, we, we hold truth to be evident, we hold that conviction, but we do it with gentleness, love, and respect. Because um, it's through, through that action, through that gentle, loving a kind word um, that we are going to win people over to you, uh, not by by being brash and harsh uh, with our apologetics. So, Lord, I pray uh, that you would teach us how to love others the way that you love them, that you had compassion on them. And uh, it's all these things we ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I remember when uh, coronavirus uh, first hit America. It was, you know, about this time last year. And um, it was a crazy thing. The the uh, worldwide searches for coronavirus were obviously going through the, through the roof. Google Trends' uh, Twitter account noted that the worldwide search interest for coronavirus symptoms had increased by more than 1,000% compared to the week before. Um, it also listed the top five searched during the previous 24 hours, and that included things like how to prevent coronavirus and how does coronavirus spread. Uh, just last night, my wife and I watched the movie Contagion, which is a terrifying movie, especially to watch in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and, uh, but, um, you know, people, when, when something like this happens, it first comes out, people just don't know what's, what's what. So, uh, we, we may turn to Dr. Google to help us out with a lot of this stuff, but, uh, you know, the, the reality is that a lot of us were very confused, very confused when this first came out. 
um, because one of the things that were uh, um, one of the things that was most most searched was Corona beer virus, right? Yes, and so people were were literally thinking that if I drink a Corona, uh, I will get this virus, right? Like Corona beer virus, and it wasn't a hoax; it wasn't a joke. People really were confused. They really thought that they would get a virus uh, from Corona beer, and so. Uh, what ended up happening actually was the Corona factory ended up shutting down for a couple days um, because they had to deal with all this PR nightmare and all these other things, and, and so it was, a, it was a big deal, okay? Um, <clears throat> but this is, this is not the only way that we can be confused about the difference between things. Uh, I recently read of a new church. This is crazy. It meets on Sunday mornings at 1130. By 1125, people begin to gather, and they meet, and they hug each other in greeting, uh, only instead of sitting in a pew or a chair, they sit on the floor. And once they sit on the floor, uh, the goal is to set an intention to connect to something higher than themselves. They can devote the time to someone they love, someone who needs strength, or someone who needs healing, or their sense of God or a feeling like peace. Then the music begins, and it's the music of breathing. The point is to breathe for something beyond you. It's, it's often called the victorious breath. You breathe in through your nose and out through your nose, constricting the throat slightly as you exhale to create uh, a rasping oceanic sound. The goal is to synchronize breath with movement as you build body heat. When everyone is breathing this way, together the room reverberates with that deep cosmic oceanic sound. Then comes the message. As the teacher guides the breathing and transitions the congregation from one posture to the next, a steady stream of transitions, uh, or sorry, a steady stream of messages are offered in order to build a personal sense of strength or ease. Things like share your energy or remember that you are a gift to this world, so embrace that. Or your way of being is a choice. Then there is singing only it's not really singing, so much as chanting. Every practice begins and ends with three chants of the word om, a vibration treated as the primordial seed of the universe. And we'll talk more about this word om in in, in just a bit. Then comes meditation. There's no guided prayer, but a guided meditation for 15 minutes following the hour-long practice. Often the goal of the meditation is to find stillness within yourself in the darkened room, to feel your body relax and observe your thoughts as they pass. The title of this article describing all of this was really interesting. It was titled, Welcome to Yoga Church. Um, Only it wasn't uh, trying to be a church. It was simply a yoga class, but the writer called it church because to her, that's what it felt like felt like church. And it should have because her confusion ran deeper than she realized. Whether she knew it or not, it was very much a religious event. She had just gone through the practice of Hinduism. Today, we're kicking off this brand new series, like we said, So What's the Difference? It's a look at the difference between the Christian faith 
in other world religions. The difference between Christianity and Judaism, that's going to be next week. Uh, Casey's going to be preaching on that. Christianity and Islam, Christianity and other American religious, uh, religions such as Jehovah's Witness and Mormonism, um, Christianity uh, and Protestantism or Protestantism and, ca- and Catholicism within Christianity is what we're going to look at. Um, and then the, the final week, we're going to look at why Jesus, why choose Jesus. But today we're looking at Christianity and Eastern religions because there is a sense uh, where we can talk about Eastern religions as a whole, meaning religions that originated uh, in the Eastern world, such as India, China, Japan, uh, Southeast Asia, okay? such as uh, Jainism or Sikhism, Shinto, Taoism, or Confucianism. Uh, who's, who's heard some of those before? Okay, very good. All right, uh, but, but the most influential in the West are without a doubt Buddhism and Hinduism. Buddhism is influential not only because of the number of practicing Buddhists, in the United States, um, it's estimated to be about three to four million. Um, the vast majority of them are Asian Americans, but also because of the number of celebrities who embrace its ideas or have been uh, linked to its practices, such as, we're going to read these names here, Jennifer Aniston, Orlando Bloom, Kate Bosworth, David Bowie, Jeff Bridges, Penelope Cruz, Richard Gere, Goldie Hawn, Kate Hudson, Angelina Jolie, Jennifer Lopez, Brad Pitt, Keanu Reeves, Steven Seagal, Sting, Uma Thurman, Tina Turner, Tiger Woods. It's a long list, right? Hinduism is influential in a different way. I doubt you can name a single celebrity Hollywood Hindu, uh, but when it comes to Hindu ideas, well, that's another story. Those are very famous from the Star Wars films or the writings of Eckhart Tolle or Shirley MacLaine in the New Age movement, Marianne Williamson's uh, Course in Miracles or the very common practice of yoga. Hinduism is one of the most influential philosophies in our culture. So let's look at both, beginning with the older of the two, which is Hinduism. Hinduism has no clearly identified founder, no prophet, no historical events marking its beginnings, no institutional structure, and no real creed. And while the philosophy of Hinduism is influential, only 13% of the world's population are practicing Hindus, and most live in India. In fact, That's what the word Hindu actually means. It's Persian word for India, or for Indian. Um, So it is not surprising that the nation of India produced the the person that is probably the most famous Hindu that has ever lived, and that was Gandhi. Hindus have spiritual teachers, uh, and they're known as gurus, and many wandering, um, that's that's W-A, not W-O, wandering, okay? Wandering holy men known as swamis. They have sacred writings such as the the, uh, Veda, uh, the uh, Upanishad, i got to make sure I pronounce these right, and uh, the Bhagavan, uh, uh, Bhagavati. But uh, they are best known and, uh, for the most influential of the three big ideas. And when I walk through these three ideas, you're going to say, like, I know that idea. I get that idea, okay? And the three big ideas of Hinduism is this. Number one, the force. Number two, karma. And number three, reincarnation, okay? The force, karma, and reincarnation. And the first idea, the force, uh, yes, it's Hinduism. It's, it comes from, from Hinduism. For the Hindu, there is no such thing as one all-powerful personal God who created us. Instead, ultimately, uh, the ultimate reality is Brahman, okay? This is an impersonal oneness that is something like an impersonal force of existence, And that force can manifest itself in the form of many gods. Actually, one estimate is that there are 330 million different Hindu gods. 
330 million. The main three are this, Brahma the creator, Vishnu the preserver, and Siva the destroyer. And that's what the mantra Aum is all about. It's actually spelled A-U-N. These three letters symbolically uh, represent Brahma, Vishnu, and Siva. Saying the word Aum is essentially calling up their essence and worshiping them. But behind all of these gods is one big force of reality, which is Brahman. And not to make Star Wars a primer on uh, Hinduism, even though it's based on uh, the, the, the Hindu and New Age ideas, but you can think of Brahman as the force and Hindu, or, or sorry, Brahman, Brahman as the force and the Jedis as the gods. And James Cameron, he said uh, that the extremely successful movie Avatar, which has a sequel, by the way, it's premiering in 2022, the sequel is, uh, was based on the idea of one of the Hindu gods taking human form and draws the other aspects of Hindu philosophy in as well. So while there are many uh, of the manif- manifestations of Brahman, though the millions of gods that the, the Hindus worship, Brahman itself, ultimate reality, is not personal. It's just a force. Which means that our true selves, also known as Atman, is at one with Brahman. Our essence is the same. It's identical to that of Brahman in their thinking. All is one and one is all. Or you could say that the force is all and all is the force. Or as you hear many New Age thinkers put it, God is all and all is God. Our problem, the Hindus say, now pay attention to this, our problem, the Hindus say, is that we aren't aware of our divine nature. We aren't aware that we are part of and at one with Brahman. As a result, we are bound by this life. As I go through this, pay attention to what each religion calls out to be the main problem and what is the main response or answer. Okay, karma. Uh, That's what the law of karma is all about. The second big idea within Hinduism, karma, is the sum total of your life's actions, good and bad. If you don't liberate yourself from this life and embrace your divinity, you are bound to this life and the next life and the next life and the life after that. Hindus do not believe uh, that life is linear going from a beginning to an end. Instead, they believe that it is a never-ending circle of life, death, and rebirth. And yes, that is where the Lion King uh, got their phrase. It's a Hindu idea, a circle of life. Reincarnation, uh, this brings up the third big idea of Hinduism, which is the idea of reincarnation. Uh, According to Hindu thought, right now we are all reaping the consequences of what we did in an earlier life. If you had good karma in the past, you are living a good life now. If not, then your life will not be so good, and your karma will even determine uh, what you will be in your next life. I was talking to a waitress one time, and and she literally said to me, uh, when I die, I will return as a bird. And I was like, you really believe that? She said, yes. And uh, I said, you really believe that? And she said, no. Um, But at the end of the day, what she's saying there is it's a reincarnation idea. You can come back as a human, an animal, or an insect. What you'll be reincarnated into in your next life depends on your karma in this life. And this is one reason why all forms of life are held sacred to the Hindu, especially the cow, which is the symbol of Mother Earth to them. The solution to all of this is to be liberated from the wheel of life, death, and rebirth by realizing that you as a self are an illusion. And do you remember the Matrix movies? Have you guys seen those Matrix movies? I, I like rewatched one just recently. Um, the original. It's the best. It's so good. Um, so if you remember the Matrix movies, um, the, 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 the fourth installment's coming out this year, um, and so we'll see how that goes. But those movies are based on this Hindu philosophy. You, you may recall the scene um, from the first film where Neo, he goes to see the Oracle, and she's like, in the kitchen smoking, you know, 
And, uh, and as he's waiting to go in to see the oracle, he sees this little kid, and the kid is sitting there holding a spoon. And he's, he's talking to this kid, and the little boy is about to bend the spoon with his mind. And when Neo, he asks how the boy did it, he said that the secret is to remember there is no spoon. Where he says that. Everything is an illusion for Hindus. Everything is the matrix. Only the very impersonal oneness of the energy force of Brahman is real. So they believe that you should strive to detach yourself from this life and attain enlightenment. Again, like Neo freeing himself from the matrix, they believe you can try to do that through various forms of yoga, action, and ritual, through knowledge and meditation and through devotion. In fact, that's what the word yoga means. It means union with or yoking with something. And for the Hindus uh, in yoga, that means union with Brahman. But whatever angle that you look at it from, the goal is to lose yourself, to lose your identity into the universal identity of the one self or force of Brahman. Or as George Lucas would put it, to let yourself go and to feel the force. Okay, so that's Hinduism, right? Uh, Now from Hinduism came Buddhism. And Buddhism also believes in one large divine essence, and we are to tap into that through the quest for enlightenment also. Um, but uh, And they also believe in re- reincarnation, and they also believe in karma. But Buddhism has a little more theology to it. I promise you this, Buddhism is a little shorter than Hinduism. Uh, Siddhartha, Ga- uh, Siddhartha Gautama, now known as Buddha, uh, began his spiritual search in order to find the cause of suffering and how to best to eliminate it. If, if you've ever been to a philosophy class at any, uh, even high school, but especially at a liberal arts university, you're going to deal with the question of suffering and how do religions see suffering and how do they deal with it, okay? So he sees this, how do I eliminate suffering in order to gain enlightenment on this issue? And from the suffering, he would, be, uh, he would first uh, d- devote himself to extreme pleasure, trying everything that the world had to offer that was pleasurable. That didn't work. Then he devoted himself to extreme asceticism. That means he deprived himself uh, in his body of food, pleasure, comfort, hoping that would somehow help him to break through the spiritual barrier. It didn't work either. It was only when he sat under a tree in deep meditation that enlightenment finally came to him. And that is the meaning of the word Buddha. It actually means the enlightened one. And that enlightenment, known as the middle way, because it involves neither giving in to pleasure nor giving to asceticism, is marked the four noble truths, and those four noble truths uh, uh, from the, form the heart of Buddhist philosophy. The four noble truths are this. Life is full of pain and suffering. Suffering is caused by desire. The way to liberate yourself from suffering is by eliminating all desire. And fourth, desire can be eliminated by the Eightfold Path. The question then, what is the Eightfold Path? This is the Eightfold Path. Right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right awareness, and right meditation. Now, side note, on the Eightfold Path, what I love about the Eightfold Path is actually very sarcastic. I'm saying this sarcastically. Let's put the Eightfold Path back up there. I I, I actually hate this. Um, But by whose authority? By what authority? uh, Who who claims what is right on this? Um, Anyway, that's just something for you to consider. Um, in Christianity, we believe in, in an ultimate authority, a God who has ultimate authority. It's very different, obviously, with Hinduism and Buddhism. And the, Okay, in the life uh, on the way to enlightenment is the life that devotes itself to those eight attitudes and those actions. Okay, ultimate goal in the state, or in all of this, is the state of what? Nirvana. 
the ultimate goal is the state of Nirvana. It's not the 90s hit grudge band, obviously, but Nirvana is the state of being that Buddhists believe in. To be in Nirvana is to be liberated from the endless cycle of death and rebirth uh, by eliminating all desire, all attachment to the illusion of self that is enlightenment. And it often happens through meditation and flashes of insight. When you are fully enlightened, you, are, you enter into nirvana, and that comes by following the Eightfold Path. After the, after the Buddha's death, the Buddhist religion didn't hang uh, together very, wall, er, er, very well. And today, there are many, many branches of Buddhism. For example, there is uh, um, Theravada Buddhism, and that's found in the countries of Cambodia, Laos, Sri Lanka, and Thailand. And then there's um, uh, Vajrayana Buddhism, and, and that exists primarily in Mongolia and Tibet, and it uses techniques from the world uh, of the occult to try to develop spiritual power. And this branch has captured the most attention because of the plight of Buddhists in Tibet under the Chinese rule. And that's more of a recent thing. But also because its leader in exile, the Dalai Lama, has become something of a pop culture celebrity. Okay, but to Tibetan Buddhists, he is far more than a celebrity. He is the uh, um, Bodhisattva. Yeah, Bodhisattva. Uh, that is uh, someone who has attained enlightenment, but out of compassion for the masses of people who haven't yet attained enlightenment, refuses to enter nirvana in order to come back and guide others along the path. And these figures are often worshipped at shrines and prayed to like gods. It is believed that bodhisattvas uh, can actually transfer some of their own karma to help others along the way. It's like an ACH transfer of karma. Okay, that's what they believe in, essentially. Okay, this is uh, what Tibetan Buddhists believe the Dalai Lama to be. The 14th reincarnation of the enlightened Buddha, who is the Bodhisattva, refused reincarnation, um, uh, uh, or sorry, refused nirvana in order to help others reach enlightenment. And then uh, there's the, the uh, Mahayana Buddhism, and that's the primary form of Buddhism in the place like China, Hong Kong, Japan, Vietnam, and Taiwan. And then uh, there are branches of all the major branches, uh, you know, kind of like denominations type of deal. For example, you have the animists who believe in all kinds of spirits and influence and control over people's lives in such groups of Zen Buddhists who meditate on the vast emptiness within themselves. So it's hard to nail down Buddhism. Like, we need to understand this. It's hard to nail down Buddhism. It's hard to nail down parts of Hinduism as well. In fact, um, this, this Dutchman named De Wittering he, he went uh, into Japan to study Buddhism. This is fascinating. He tells of going into this garden, and he asks this man named Han San if he was a Buddhist. Han San said, I? I study Buddhism. He said, yes, I know. Uh, but are you a Buddhist? Han San said, you know that I don't exist. I change all the time. Every moment I am different, I exist in the way a cloud exists. A cloud is a Buddhist too. You call me Han San and pretend that I was yesterday, and I shall be today. But that's your business. In reality, there is no Han San. And how can an unreal Han San be Buddhist? DeWittering said, All I ask is whether or not you are a member of the Buddhist Brotherhood. And Han San replied, Is a cloud the member of a sky? And at that, the conversation was over, right? I mean, it's hard to nail down those or Buddhists, what they really believe. So the question that we need to answer here is what attracts those of us in the West to the ideas and the practices of the East? Why are we so taken um, 
with the monks and the monasteries, the temples, the shrines, karma, reincarnation, Star Wars, the Matrix, yoga, avatar, meditation, all these things. And what's the allure of all of this? Okay, I, I think there are two main reasons. Number one, first, uh, there is the basic foundations, uh, the, or the basic foundational desire that we all have of spiritual life. And without a doubt, Eastern religions provide the feeling of spirituality. The Tibetan mountaintop monasteries, the shaved heads, the flowing orange robes, the exotic locations, the meditation, it all seems to hold the promise of the experience of the spiritual. But that's often all that it is. It's an outward appearance or feel of spirituality, not spirituality itself. Number two, I think that a second appeal of the East to the West is it's an, it, or it is the fact that it's an easy spirituality. It's empty, hear this, it's empty of all real accountability. You don't have to join anything or really believe in anything with Buddhism, just the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, which are uh, very generic, like I said, like there's no authority over them. Uh, with Hinduism, it's buying into this vague philosophy of a cosmic force uh, of life as a never-ending circle and the need to try to be better in this life so that you can, you can break that cosmic circle. And that appeals to people who want to be spiritual-ish, but not spiritual. Historically, in the last 30 to 50 years, American Christianity has often said that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. But by all definitions, Christianity is, in fact, a religion. And let me speak to those who are above 40 for just a moment. The reality is that, uh, that what worked on one generation doesn't always work on the next generation. We know that to be true. The old saying that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, does not land well with millennials, myself and other millennials in this room, and uh, Gen Z. The reason being is that we've all, or most of us, because uh, our, our numbers are pretty high, that we've attended some form of post-high school education, some form of modern liberal arts universities, keyword modern, right, contemporary, because as you know, universities, they very much changed, um, and, uh, and so anyway, uh, we, we know that in all modern contemporary textbooks, Christianity is just grouped with other religions, it's a religion, and on paper, it doesn't always look vastly different from other religions, consider these definitions, okay, consider these from a quick Google search, this is from the BBC, it says religion can be explained as a set of beliefs concerning the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe, especially when considering, or especially when considered as the creation of a superhuman agency or agencies, usually involving devotional and ritual observances, and often containing a moral code governing the conduct of human affairs. Very close to Christianity, right? Okay, Wikipedia, all right, as basic, general as it gets. Uh, by the way, if, if you want to know what the world thinks, I understand it's not like, you know, it's not the most scholarly. Just go to Wikipedia. That's what the world thinks. Okay, Wikipedia. Religion is a social, cultural system of designated behaviors and practices, morals and worldviews, texts, uh, sanctified places, prophecies, ethics, or organizations that relates humanity to supernatural, transcendental, and spiritual elements. Based off of those two quick definitions of religion, do you see how Christianity fits into those on many levels, if not all of them? Therefore, I find it more helpful for us to not say that Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship, and rather say this, Christianity is more than a religion, it's a relationship. 
meaning that Christianity is not about a set of do's and don'ts alone, though, that, uh, th- though that's in there. It's not only about a set of practices or rituals, though those are present in there, uh, but it is about entering into a life-changing relationship with the living God through Jesus. And there's a real God who can really be encountered, and he has spoken. He has given truths about himself for our lives. But what some people want is spirituality without the God, without the absolute, without the authority. And this means that spirituality, that is just a set of feelings or emotions, ends up being little more than the sound of your own voice. So while religions from the East can be attractive, there are enormous tension points between the Christian faith. The Dalai Lama himself has stated publicly that you cannot reconcile Buddhism and Christianity. The central doctrines of Buddhism and Christianity are not compatible. He has said himself that you cannot be a Buddhist Christian or a Christian Buddhist, and he's right. So let me give you the three key differences between Eastern religions and the Christian faith. Key differences between Eastern religions and the Christian faith are this. One, a personal God. Two, our greatest need. And three, dealing with our brokenness. The first has to do with a personal God. Christianity believes in a personal God. Buddhism does not even believe in a higher being. Hindus believe in millions, 330 plus million of gods that together just make up an impersonal force. In college, uh, I had this quad mate. His name was Sawan Jadev. And uh, Sawan uh, was from India. He was in the royal caste. And Sawan was uh, someone who was Buddhist. And... um, so, Sawan uh, had, or, or, or sorry, he, he, was, uh, he was Hindu. Sawan had uh, tons of, 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 of gods that he believed in. He actually had, you know, the, the, the three uh, statues of Siva and, and Vishnu and Brahma in his, in his room. And I remember when, when he moved in, he took these, these figurines and he placed them in his, in his room on his desk. And he, he poured the milk in, in, in their bowls and put crystals in there. And he would pray to them every day and light incense and all this stuff. Well, we, we started, um, uh, you know, talking to Sawan, started, started evangelizing and sharing the gospel with Sawan. Sawan, one day, was like, hey, you know what? I, I want to watch that movie you guys were talking about, which was The Passion of the Christ. And we said, okay, yeah, sure, great. So we turn on The Passion of the Christ. It's like one in the morning. We finish this thing. We have a, we have a little kumbaya moment of, of, you know, conversation around this. This dude ends up giving his life to Christ, okay? Like two in the morning. He like pray. He like prays to receive Christ, and he's like, I believe in Jesus. And we're like, man, this is incredible. Two or three days goes by, and I walk by his room, and his idols are still up. And I was like, dude, what are you doing, man? I was like, you gotta like we got to throw those away, you know? And he goes, oh, no, 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 don't, we can't throw them away. I, wor- I worship them. And I was like, no, you, you worship Jesus. And he's like, no, no, I, I worship them and Jesus. And he goes, look, and he points to his bed, and he printed out a picture of Jesus from some artist, you know? And he, like, puts it above his bed, and he's like, no, I worship these gods, but I also worship Jesus. And we were defeated. We were deflated, right? Why? Because at the end of the day, we thought that Solomon was really following Jesus, and he wasn't. Because he didn't understand that it was Jesus plus nothing. And so then, uh, you know, the semester goes by. We keep praying for Solomon. We keep telling him about Jesus. Nothing changes. He comes to us in the fall. We return to, to class, and he walks up to me. He finds me in this field of students. He walks up to me, he goes, Corey. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I'm Christian. And I said, you're, you're a Christian? He goes, yeah, I'm Christian. I go, okay, well, tell me what that means. And so he goes, I, I'm following Jesus and Jesus alone. What? I go, Jesus alone? He goes, yeah. 
And I said, what'd you do? And he goes, I read the Bible. And I go, that's amazing, man. Like, what part? And he stared at me like blank. He's like, the Bible. And I go, you read the whole Bible? And he goes, yes. And it was, it was this moment where he was like, don't you? And doesn't every Christian, you know? And it, it was like, it was this awesome conviction, this moment where he was like, no, I read the whole Bible. And he goes, I got to the Gospels. I got to the truth of Jesus. And I just gave my life to Christ. And he goes, I don't follow those idols anymore. I don't know that I can ever go home. I mean, it was this moment where, like, everything changed because he read the Bible. Because he finally encountered a personal God. A personal God. The idea of a personal God is at the heart of the Christian faith. A God who loves us, cares about us, and wants to be in a personal relationship with us. He knows our name. Which raises the second huge difference between Christianity and the Eastern religions, and it's this. What is our greatest problem? To the Hindu, the biggest problem is our bad karma in a previous life. So we work hard uh, in, in this one, and maybe you can break free and become part of the divine energy in the universe. To the Buddhist, the biggest problem is that you actually believe you are a life. So the goal is to get enlightened and realize that you aren't even really here. Christianity says that our deepest problem, hear this, our deepest problem is that we are estranged from a God who created us. And this means that we have some real issues to face. We are real, live human beings who are on this planet living out the one and only life that we've been given to live. The heart of Jesus' message to the world is that we are not right with God, but we can be. This is why Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Matthew 5, 6. Righteousness simply means rightness or a rightness with God. It's the desire to see God's standards, God's values established in every area of our life as a result of a relationship with him where he takes up residence in our life. You see, the heart of the human problem is not the need for enlightenment or the reincarnation. The problem is our sin. The one word that we hate to hear, the one thing that we try to escape, the one thing that we try to deny the one thing that we do not want to own, face, or admit to in truth, it is the one great reality of our life and the heart of the problem in our life. In her book, uh, Traveling Mercies, Anne Lamont, she writes about a friend, and this, this friend um, had a problem, uh, this, this problem that they were trying to deny. Uh, she writes about this doctor friend who, who used to shoot up sodium, uh, sodium uh, uh, pentothal, in his garage, and then he would make a run for his bedroom where he could pass out for the night. He was convinced that he had a problem with insomnia, not drugs. Uh, Another one of her friends in the same book, she uh, writes about, had to have surgery to remove pebbles from his forehead. The tiny stones got embedded uh, while he was smashing his face against the pavement at the end of a cocaine bench. And when he told her about his operation, he was angry because now people were going to think that he had a cocaine problem. Church, if if we fail to see what the nature of our problems are, what the nature of our challenges really are, what the essence of our struggles really are, we will never be able to address them. We'll just live in denial. We need a personal God, and there is one. We need to see that we are not right with this God, but we can be. 
Which brings us to the major divide, the third major divide. How do we deal with our brokenness? Christianity believes that the sin and failure in our lives can be met with grace and forgiveness from God. And reaching that ultimate goal, eternity with God, is not something that we have to earn. But it's something that is given to us freely out of the love of God. If we'll just come to Him for relationship. Again, like we said last week, salvation is not a game that you win or lose, but it's a gift that some people take and some people refuse. And not so for those buying into karma and reincarnation. That's a brutal, vicious cycle where all you get is what you deserve and what you've earned, good, bad, and ugly. There's no grace, there's no forgiveness, there's no mercy. And as a result, you are alone with your life. You may have heard the famous story of Jesus uh, told uh, about the prodigal son. And I'm going to read the story. And uh, then we're going to read the, the Eastern version of it. A man, he had two sons. The younger, he, uh, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the youngest son packed all his belongings and he took a trip to a distant land. And there, he wasted all his money on wild living. About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired men have food enough to spare. Here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, he, his father saw him coming. He filled, uh, he's filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him, and he kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found, so the party began. Jesus, he told the story for one reason. He wanted to see the heart of God, or he, he wanted us to see the heart of God toward us, his children, a heart full of grace and forgiveness and mercy. And it's a story of grace, it's not a story of karma. Here's a story of karma. According to an ancient Asian legend uh, that tells the story of another man who had a wayward son. A boy became involved with the wrong crowd who persuaded him to join them in a robbery of his own father. And after the robbery was over, his friends deserted, uh, um, his friends left him alone. Um, and, and, and they fled with the stolen treasure and left him uh, to face the guilt of the crime alone. Deserted by his friends and realizing he had betrayed his father, he went home and he begged for forgiveness. It was granted. The father called all of the members of the family together to celebrate the reconciliation and return of his son. This is crazy. When all had enjoyed the banquet to the fullest, the father, he stood up, he lifted his cup of rice wine for a toast, and as the son lifted his cup of rice wine and drank it, he grabbed his throat. He fell lifeless across the table, foaming at the mouth. The father had poisoned his son's cup. The whole banquet 
was to make a public statement of the revenge on his son. That's the difference between karma and grace. Only Christianity contends that God's love is unconditional and that you don't have to earn God's approval. Conclusion. There's much that may attract us to religions of the East. But really, it's not about East versus West. It's bigger than that. It's about whether there is a God. That's not an East and West divide. That's an all of human history divide. It's about what is ultimately wrong in our life that needs to be fixed and how it can be addressed. Christianity says that there is a personal God that we can be in a personal relationship with. Your problem and my problem is being estranged from him and not being in a right relationship with him. Christianity doesn't call for mere enlightenment or even thinking uh, that enlightenment is the main problem. Christianity says that people really need God, that all people really need is God, a God who wants nothing more than to give himself to us. And thank God it is not based on our karma, but based on his grace. Christianity doesn't call for, uh, uh, um, sorry, uh, I, I, once, I once read uh, this, uh, this article by uh, U2's Bono. And in that, he, he talks about what drew him to Christianity and what has made him even more committed to his Christian faith than ever before. And he said this, The one thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. Then he talked about how every other religion is driven by karma. What you put out comes back to you. Every action met by an equal or opposite action. And then along comes an idea like grace, and it upends all of it. Then he says, for me, this is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sin onto the cross because I know who I am, and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. He's right. The difference, karma or amazing grace.